Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. I'm Pastor Allen. I've hopefully greeted most of you as you came in. Uh, missed a few of you came in a little late. Uh, we usually teach in series, I'll take a topic and p- talk about it for a few weeks, and we're in a series about grace, and today's topic is saved by grace. <clears throat> Start off and tell you a story about a guy named Bob. He lives down south, and he had this vision, this, this master plan, this business plan to start a a nursery and a greenhouse. So he bought an old rundown farm, overgrown farm. And if you know anything about the South, kudzu grows every, over everything as well as some other weeds and things. So he had this idea. He would go to the local convenience store where guys hang out, day laborers, and he would hire uh, some guys to come and work. <clears throat> so he shows up about 5.31 morning and says, hey, I want five guys, 100 bucks to work 12 hours, clearing this land, and five guys jump in his pickup truck and he takes them to the work site. He appoints the oldest guy as a foreman and gives him some gloves and some hand tools and tells him what he wants him to do, and then he takes off. Comes back a few hours later, they've got this big pile of kudzu and this stuff cut. Um, but he can see right away that there, there's no way they're going to get the work done in, in one day. So he goes back to the convenience store, hires another five guys, and brings them to the job site. Uh, it's late, late morning. <clears throat> then he goes off and gets some some drinks and some food for these guys, feed them for lunch. And after they have lunch, even though they're, they're working really hard and, 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 and getting a lot done, it's just no way they're going to get this project done. So he goes back to the convenience store, see if there's anybody else to hire. Gets five more guys and brings them on. And they start, start to work. And then he runs another errand and comes back and it's just not enough. So he, he goes and see if he can hire anybody else. And there are a few other guys. He hires them late in the afternoon and brings them on and... <clears throat> Six o'clock, he goes to the bank, gets some money to pay these guys. And he agreed for the first guys, he was going to give them 100 bucks for the 12 hours. So he gets the money, hands it to the foreman, and he says, pay the guys that showed up last, pay them first. And uh, the foreman gives them 100 bucks. So the guys that worked all day are in the back of the line thinking, wow, this guy's pretty generous. They start adding up in their head. If they, they guys get 100 bucks, we're going to get four or 500 bucks for sure. So as he goes through all, paying everybody, he gets to the last guys that worked all day long, and he gives them 100 bucks. And they start going to complain and say, hey, Bob, what's, what's going on here? You know, uh, we've worked all day long. These guys only worked a couple hours. They got 100 bucks, and, and uh, we only get 100 bucks. And Bob puts his hands in his pocket and says, um, I, if I remember correctly, you, you agreed 100 bucks for, for 12 hours' labor. Isn't that true? And he, they said, yeah, so, so we're square, right? They said, well, I, I guess. And so that was it. Now, some of you will recognize that as a modern version of a story Jesus told. But as you hear the story, who do you relate to? Most of us relate to these guys who worked all day long and only got paid 100 bucks, right? Just doesn't seem fair, does it? Even though that's what they agreed upon. Uh, Christian writer Philip Yancey describes this as the scandalous mathematics of grace. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The scandalous mathematic of grace. How can I work all day long for 100 bucks and somebody work for two hours and get 100 bucks? Now this whole fairness thing is a little tricky, isn't it? In the story, if you, came, if you were one of the guys that came mid-afternoon or late afternoon and worked, you're pretty happy, right? No complaints. The complaints came from the guys that worked all day long. Now if you're Bob, you don't have any complaints. You paid the guys you agreed to what you, you gave them, and you were even generous to the rest of the guys. 
And when Jesus tells the story, he says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this. And so that's why it's difficult for us. Because when we think of grace, we like it when we benefit from it, right? Did anybody complain if you get the biggest piece of pie or the biggest piece of cake? Oh, no, I don't want the biggest piece. Give me the smallest piece. Or your kids, when they get in your car and they get the shotgun seat up front, you know. Does any of them claim, no, 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 I don't want the shotgun seat. No, see, when it's to our advantage, we go, yeah, if it's not fair, we don't care. But it's only when we are on the disadvantage side. Of course, God represents, or Bob represents God in the, in the story. So, I put on your outline, fortunately, the kingdom of God does not operate according to the principle of fairness. Let me ask you a simple question. Who wants to get what they deserve? Anybody? No, no takers? No, nobody raising their hand? Yeah, we really don't want what we deserve. But God gets, like Bob, he gets to be as gracious to whoever he wants to be. It's his game, it's his rules, he can do what he wants. Fascinating thing is we're not the only ones who struggle with fairness. I came across, I thought was hilarious, uh, this video I want to share with you. Okay, fairness is a little tricky, tricky thing, isn't it? Well, most of these in this series we've been talking about Adam and Eve the first Sunday, but Nicodemus or Matthew or woman at the well. Today I want to talk to you about three separate individuals. Start off with a guy by the name of Stephen. The church started off fantastic. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls got saved, and they added to the church every day after that. So after time, everything didn't go so well. And if you read the book of Acts, the history of the early church, by chapter 6 there's a problem. We may call it a food fight. Uh, there was a distribution of food and it, it wasn't fair to the widows. The, the, the Jerusalem widows were getting better, better, better served the food than the, than the Greek-speaking widows. And so there was this complaint in the church. And so the disciples decided they didn't want to handle this. So they asked the congregation or the people to elect seven Spiritual people, even though it's a food distribution issue, 
high, uh, elect seven spiritual people to take care of this distribution of food. And of these seven people, one guy stands out above the others. His name is Stephen. <clears throat> so he's a really spiritual guy. Not only did he take care of this problem, he was a very good debater of Christianity. And so he would go to the synagogue and debate the Jews and try and get them to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And he did such a good job, he was frustrating the Jews. They couldn't win the debates. So they finally said, we can't, we can't, can't put up with this. So they hired some people to lie about Stephen, falsely accuse him of blasphemy. So he goes before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, the same ones that executed Jesus, and uh, makes his defense, and he, and he accuses them, and he, 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 again, does a strong argument, and he gets the, the folks so frustrated, they get so angry, they grab Stephen, take him outside the city, and stone him to death. And uh, the last words of Stephen we'll put on the screen here. He fell on his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with their sin. <laughs> These people that are stoning, throwing stones at him. Don't charge them with their sin. And with that, he died. So the best thing we can tell, this guy is a pretty great guy, right? If anybody deserves to go to heaven, it should be Stephen. He's one of those heroes of faith, right? Then I want to talk to you about another guy by the name of Saul. <clears throat> now, Saul was a really, really, really good Jew. In fact, he was a Jew of all Jews. He was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He was committed and zealous about the law. So much so when this Christianity thing came along, he was so upset about it, he made it his goal in life to wipe out Christianity. And in uh, Galatians, he describes himself this way. <clears throat> you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion? How violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. So he was all in for Judaism, even to the, uh, the case of wiping out Christians. He was there when Stephen was killed even. He has this dra dramatic encounter with God. He becomes a Jesus follower. And so at, from then on, he commits himself or his zeal, his enthusiasm uh, for Jesus. And we know for about 15 years he travels at least three missionary journeys around the Mediterranean starting churches. Experts tell us he probably traveled 20,000 miles. That sounds like a lot even today with <clears throat> planes, trains, and automobiles, right? I know that's a movie, but anyway. He didn't have any of those things. He, he had boats, and most of the time he probably walked. So that was quite a commitment, quite, quite a... a a sacrifice he made to spread the gospel. And the New Testament, part of the Bible we have, about a third of it can be attributed to this guy named Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. So even though at the beginning of his, his life, he, 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 we wouldn't consider him a, a good guy, uh, but he kind of made up for it in his later years, right? Starting all these churches and, and, and being sold out to Jesus. So he, we, we, consider, we consider him a hero of the faith also, right? <clears throat> Now, the third guy I want to tell you about, we don't know his name, all right? He's just described as a criminal, and Luke records this story for us, so we're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 23. It's actually at the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Now, when the Bible describes them as criminals, they had to be really, really, really bad guys, because what the Romans did with cr most criminals was they enslaved them. 
They would make them work in the mines or row the boats. You've seen those movies with the guys rowing the boats. Well, they were the criminals. <clears throat> These guys were so bad that they couldn't even make slaves out of them. So they were going to execute them. So when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. Him is Jesus in this case. And the criminals were also crucified. So we got Jesus crucified in the middle and these two criminals on both sides of it. <clears throat> one on the right and one on the left. Now it's interesting. If you, earlier on, James and John, two of the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, we want to sit on your right and your left when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. What, what they were asking for to be, it was to take the place of these criminals, right? Uh, to, to sit at God, or Jesus' right hand and left hand. And then in verse 34, which is not on your outline, um, Jesus, we have seven quotes from Jesus on the cross, and this was one. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Sounds kind of familiar, right? J Stephen must have heard this, because that was pretty much the same thing he said at his uh, execution. And then the story goes on. The crowd watched, and the leader scoffed. Now, there was all these people there when Jesus was crucified, and some of them were the were the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, the court that, that pronounces uh, judgment. So they're there scoffing him. He said, you saved others. Let him save himself. He's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. He's just a false Messiah. He's not the real, real Messiah. And then uh, verse 37, they called out to him. Well, they were also the Roman soldiers, right? They were there. And they were gambling for his clothes. And uh, they called out to him. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. So they're making fun of this Jesus guy and they had the king of the Jews on the, up uh, on the cross as a, a sign of, you know, scoffing also. That wasn't it. Then one of the criminals, he also scoffed at this Messiah, this Jesus guy. He said, you're the Messiah, are you? <laughs> Prove it by saving yourself and, and us, by the way while you're at it. He didn't really care about Jesus. He just wanted to be spared too. So we have all these people. We know that Mary and Mary Magdalene and, and uh, John, they were all in the crowd and other folks, we don't know who. We have all these people in this crowd and everybody that's recorded up to this point is making fun of Jesus, right? Everybody. No, one guy doesn't. It's really fascinating. It's actually fascinating. One guy comes to Jesus' defense. The other criminal, one's coughing Jesus, the other one said, don't you fear God. He evidently used a God fear, even though he, he lived a pretty uh, wicked life, evidently. said, don't you fear God, even when you've been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes. So he wasn't oblivious to the fact that he'd been a bad guy. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. So it's fascinating. Nobody else comes to Jesus' defense except for this criminal, this bad guy. All the disciples had lost hope because Jesus was being crucified. They had no theology for a crucified Messiah. He was supposed to set up his kingdom and rule, get rid of the Romans. The only guy that came to his defense, the only guy that had hope at the crucifixion was this criminal. And so, he asked Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, would you please remember me when you come into your kingdom? A really bad guy. 
He couldn't make no restitution. He was going to die within an hour probably. He could make no restitution. A recommitment or this dedication or his salvation has no benefit to anybody. So I put in your outline, Jesus trumped justice and decided to be extravagant, unfair. Because what does Jesus do with this request? Some of you know the story. And Jesus replied. Now this was hard for Jesus to speak. When you're being crucified, it's hard to breathe, so it's hard to speak. So seven times Jesus spoke. This is one of the seven times. He says, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got the holy, only righteous person that's ever lived, son of God, going to be in heaven in, in a short time, and the, one of the worst guys around is going to be in the same place? I can imagine Stephen being there and maybe Paul, but this guy, that's not fair, is it? No, it's better than fair. It is what we've been studying, grace, grace. Now, I, I know I'm a pastor and pastors tend to be kind of uh, I naive, if nothing else. And it's strange to me that anybody passes up the offer of salvation. It just is. And the way I like to think about it is this way. You know, I've been working all my life trying to buy a house and <laughs> maybe before I die I'll own one, right? Some of you are the same deal. <clears throat> if somebody was to offer me a house for free, you think I would turn it down? Anybody? I don't think so. Well, grace is way, way bigger and better than that. You're offered the gift of salvation, eternal life in heaven with God for eternity, and it's free. Why would anybody pass it up? Especially, why would anybody pass that up for, for religion? Where they think, well, I'm going to do a good be good enough or do enough good stuff to get there on my own. Who would do that? You know, we've got the Ten Commandments. I'll try and keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I don't do very good at that. Maybe the golden rule. Don't, <laughs> I don't always treat people like I want to be treated. So where, where, where's the passing grade? Is it 70% of the time I'm doing the golden rule, I, I make it to heaven? 60%, 69%, you know, does 59 get me in? Well, we don't know. In all religions of the world, other than Christianity, has this system of, you know, you do this, enough good stuff you can get into heaven or paradise, what it might be. But the other interesting thing about all religions of the world is they have this caveat because they know nobody is going to be good enough. So they have this way of confession or restitution, uh, so that, you know, you can get your percentage up. <clears throat> so, I put on your outline, we, we fall short of our own expectations. How many times do you promise somebody else or promise God something didn't do it? We all done that, right? We don't need religion to tell us that we really not, aren't all that good, are we? Besides, what do you do about our past? All the mess-ups in the past. Even if we could live a perfect life from now on, which we couldn't, but even if we could, what did we do with the past? Can't fix it. So Jesus did it for us. On your outline, Christ's death and resurrection signaled to the world that the kingdom of God isn't reserved for good people because there is no good people, just forgiven people. Is that fair? Well, not, well, actually it's better than fair, right? We already said that. 
It's fairer than fair, if you will. For example, everybody's invited. Everyone's invited, right? You don't have to be an American. You don't have to be white-skinned. You don't have to be male, male, female. You don't have to be a certain age. Everybody's invited. And as we studied, you know, it could be somebody like uh, <clears throat> Rahab, a harlot that wasn't a Jew, makes it in. David, who is all over the place. He was really spiritual sometimes and really horrible other times. He makes it. Matthew, this tax collector, he makes it. Woman at the well, five husbands and living with another guy, he makes it. Nicodemus, who tried his best to be a good guy. Stephen, Paul, they all make it. Everyone's invited. Everyone gets in the same way. Right? Free gift, you have to accept it. Everybody, same way. Not if, you know, I, I, Dev and I were missionaries. If anybody needs to go to heaven and we were suffering for Jesus overseas, you know, not really. But uh, we were overseas, we weren't suffering that much. And then everyone can meet the requirements. Because what's the requirement? To accept the gift. Now, I'm, I'm finished, but I just need to say that this gift, even though it's free to you and I, it was very costly to Jesus. It cost him his life. So grace, better than fair? Far better than fair. We've got one more week in this series, and then we're going to start a new topic I'm really excited about. I'll tell you about that next week. Uh, we'll pray, pray with you all, and then we'll have a song and let you go. All right? <clears throat> Father God, I thank you so much for grace. We thank you that it's not about fairness because uh, uh, that wouldn't work out too well for most of us. Even though we struggle with what other people seem to get more grace than us, which is kind of silly, but uh, that's the case. We want to pray for anyone here that's never accepted that gift, never stepped across that line, for whatever reason, refusing that free house. Um, God, that they would see today that, that that's kind of silly, really. It's kind of foolish and would accept that gift and receive your salvation and enter into an eternal relationship with you. Uh, we thank you, God, that we all get there the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.